It seems like it's been 40 weeks since you got 40 winks. Your back pain? Unbearable. Tossing, turning, trying to find that pain-free position. And that's the moment you realize you can't spend another waking moment putting off treatment. The Joint and Spine Center is Cincinnati's leading destination for spine care with a ton of surgical and non-surgical treatments for back pain. So when a moment has the power to change the rest of your life, go to the one place with the power to change it for the better, the Christ Hospital Health Network. This changes everything. The Pound This Podcast is brought to you by the Christ Hospital Health Network. This is the Pound This Podcast, episode 724, in case you missed it, all about binge eating with Dr. Ashley Solomon. I want to lose weight, but I don't know how to get started. What should I meal prep every week how do i get those sweet booty gains inspiration for your healthy lifestyle the pound this podcast with amanda valentine hello friends thank you so much for listening to the pound this podcast i am amanda valentine I want to give you a heads up this is a replayed episode this episode was originally recorded in 2019 but it's such a great conversation dr ashley solomon has been on this podcast multiple times so much great information for me having a, a history with with binge eating and i know that's something that people discuss with me very often that i thought it would be great to replay this episode in case you have missed it because i have over 700 episodes i know that's a lot to listen to and if you're new here, you might have missed this conversation and maybe you'll learn some stuff about binge eating and about yourself and maybe realize you're doing or not doing some things. And I thought it would be helpful to replay it. So if you have heard this before, then you could go ahead and skip this episode unless you want a refresher. But I did want to let you know that this is a replayed episode. Also, wanted to let you know about health coaching with Sarah and Team Fit with me. If you're interested in health coaching, learning more about nutrition and, you know, some sort of disordered eating. If you're having issues with that, you need somebody to help you walk you through it, um, you know, to the to Sarah's scope of practice and have those conversations from somebody who has lived through this, continues to live through this, and is now a great health coach. You can check the show notes. I would definitely check out teamfitwithme.com slash pound this where you can save 10% off one month one of every package by using teamfitwithme.com slash pound this. But That aside, again, back to uh, binge eating, and this is a deep dive into my own binge eating uh, disorder here with uh, Dr. Ashley Solomon. So here we go. My expert is Dr. Ashley Solomon. Hi. Hi. Good morning. So tell me about your background. What do you do? Sure. So I am a licensed clinical psychologist. I specialize in the treatment of eating disorders and particularly um, work a lot with people struggling with binge eating disorder. So a lot of my research background and clinical background has been in working both with adolescents and adults that struggle with everything from what we might consider emotional eating, under eating, um, more clinical binge eating, and all of the sort of associated mental health issues that kind of come along with that. So I guess my very first question is because I have just recently kind of learned the answer to this, or at least I think I know the answer, is like, so how do you know what you're doing is binge eating and like what is like a a clinical binge eating disorder? Mm -hmm. That's a really excellent question because even the people that come and sit with me in my office are often really unclear about, they, they might be aware that their eating feels out of control, but is it binge eating? Is it um, just, quote unquote, a lack of willpower? Do I have a weight problem? Like how to really categorize and define it? So when we talk about binge eating disorder, um, first thing I'll say is that it actually was only added to our kind of diagnostic manual that clinicians use about six years ago now, um, which is really young when we talk about um, mental health conditions and clinical disorders. So it's it's one of the most recent um, issues to actually be given a diagnosis. So it's understandable that there's still a lot of confusion out there about what binge eating means. But when we're talking about um, a clinical disorder of binge eating, it usually is someone who struggles to struggles with repeated episodes of um, taking in of, often large amounts of food, although we don't have a specific criteria about what that amount is. Um, we don't have a calorie amount or like a specific volume, but generally we say large amounts of food in a 
pretty discreet period of time. And often that's really accompanied by lots of feelings of shame and guilt and regret. It's usually done in um, situations where someone is alone. Um, there might be things like food hiding or um, call food seeking behaviors where someone is, you know, hitting up McDonald's on the way home um, from work eating a large amount of food and then making sure to get rid of all of the quote-unquote evidence uh-huh. of it um, before they get home. So it tends to be something that's pretty compulsive in nature. Um, people generally feel really out of control about the behavior, want to stop, but feel unable to kind of interrupt the cycle that's happening. And if that goes on for a period of um, a few months, then we start to consider that binge eating disorder. Even if you're doing, like, is it every day or is it even once a week? Or is there, I mean, I know it's it's so yeah. vague of what, how often that is, I guess. Yeah. So we're, we're looking at it if it's happening at least once a week. Okay. Um, and if we're seeing that happen over a period of a few months. Because there can't, and, and we also want to look at things like, um, you know, we're not talking about the person who... Um, sort of eats a large meal on Thanksgiving or um, has, you know, one or two episodes of, you know, getting to the point where they're so full they feel sick. Or you're um, in a Mexican restaurant and those free chips. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, this is usually a, a chronic behavior that's happened over time. And, um, you know, what we often find, this isn't necessarily part of the clinical criteria, but what I, I certainly often find is that, there's also in between these binge episodes other kinds of disordered eating that's happening, um, most often restriction of food. So I've had this binge episode. I feel physically really uncomfortable. I feel mentally really distressed about it. My quote-unquote solution is to not eat anything tomorrow or to not eat anything before noon. And we know one of the major problems with that is even just from a physiological standpoint, that sets somebody up for further binge eating disorder the next day. Mm -hmm. So there's often um, other sorts of disordered eating behaviors that are kind of going along with it. So I kind of just want to tell you, but my background, and I want you to diagnose me, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I will say that um, I definitely what you described was so, so me and that I would have what's interesting is I was doing these things and I never would have put the label binge eating on it mm-hmm. until years later of what I was doing I would say at at my worst where I was at the point where I decided to make a change where I'm at now where I'm like I can't live like this mm-hmm. was I was doing the, the binges probably almost every night Mm-hmm. Um, what I would do is exactly what you said. I would hit, I would hit multiple drive-throughs. So I'd hit McDonald's and Taco Bell, mm-hmm. and I would get full meals at both of them. Mm-hmm. And because I don't want to get all at one place, because I, I'm, oh, they'll judge me when they really they don't care. Of right, that, I would right. do that. I would come home and just eat to the point of pain. And even mm-hmm. if I'm like, I am so full, I can't eat this extra thing of fries I got. Mm-hmm. No, you eat them, mm-hmm. and because you paid for it and you want them. And it's just, I would mm-hmm. be so excited into going doing these things mm-hmm. on my way home from work. It'd be, I'd be like, this is what I would think about the whole time of like, what am I going to go? What, I can have anything. Yeah. And you'd get so excited about eating so much food. I would do that. And then immediately hide the trash. My hiding mm-hmm. spot was underneath the kitchen sink because mm-hmm. that's where, you know, you have your bag full of other plastic bags. Mm-hmm. And so that's I could one. put a plastic bag with the trash mm-hmm. because I didn't want to put it in the real trash because mm-hmm. my husband would see it and I felt like he would judge me. Yeah. Um, so I did that a lot. I've also done where I ordered two large pizzas for myself. And even when I answered the door, the delivery guy came up, act like more people were at home. Like, oh, I'm having a party. Pizza's mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And then ate those to the point of pain and then hide the boxes. And um, I was just doing that so often. And so, I mean, now that what, you know, you're saying that, that's, that's a disorder. Mm -hmm. And it feels like for me, um, I guess my, and you tell me if I'm completely wrong, my kind of solution out of that was not to, I I couldn't stop the binges Mm -hmm. because it was so, to tie it into emotions and everything else that I didn't, I could not have put a finger on or told you at the time. 
but I would then just massively eat like giant bags of baby carrots. So I would be like, I just have that. If you if you have this binge tendency, and you know what I'm talking about, it's like a frenzy. Mm-hmm. It's like there is, you know, don't put your hand in front of my mouth because it'll be bitten off. <laughs> like I, I gotta eat. Like I will eat stale saltines because I need to eat something. Mm-hmm. And so I would take just massive amounts of quote unquote healthy food mm-hmm. and try to feed that binge to kind of work my way out of it mm-hmm. until I could get to a point where I could really think about of like why am i why am i doing this like mm-hmm. why am i like the giant like zipper bag of baby carrots i don't know why baby carrots because i think there's a lot of them and it's just that hand to mouth i'm such uh-huh. a quantity person yeah that it was in i don't is that something that you've seen a lot is that even like the right answer i'm sure it's not <laughs> well what's so i just have to say this because it's it's so funny that you bring up the baby carrots there was a a campaign probably about 10 years ago that like the baby carrot industry put out and their logo um or their i don't know what the word where it is their phrase that they were using in all their advertisements was binge better Oh, no way. Yeah. And I actually started this, um, you know, my own little campaign sort of against that because pointing out that um, that we were ignoring, obviously, what binge eating really is. And that to your point, it honestly, the when we kind of take away the moralistic value of food and stop putting it in these categories of you know, good food and bad food and and healthy food and unhealthy food, which is one of the kind of steps that I work with people on um, and is a hard one. The the behavior is really the essence of what we're talking about, that that compulsive need to feed ourselves. And um, like you kind of alluded to, ultimately, there's a lot of emotional stuff going on under there. There's a lot of physiological stuff, too. But it doesn't – I mean, I talk to people about the fact that it doesn't matter so much what it is um, or what the particular food is or even necessarily the amount. What's really – like even when we're diagnosing the disorder, we're thinking a lot more about um, what's the function of it for someone? How are, How is the binge eating um, kind of functioning in their life? How isolative the behaviors are? How secretive it is from other people in their life? How distressed they feel afterwards? And – do I feel like I could stop this if I really wanted to? And that's sort of the more universal part of the experience is that, you know, people are doing this to meet a lot of other needs mm-hmm. for themselves, obviously other than physical hunger, and they feel like they can't stop. But I think your your diagnosis of yourself is, is on point. Um, and I think a lot of people can probably relate to a lot of what you describe. People, you know, get... Can be very creative um, when it comes to figuring out how do I how do I keep this disorder um, even if they're not defining it as such, but they feel so much shame around their behavior that yeah. they they kind of figure out all these ways to avoid other people knowing, and then that shame just we know like shame in general just sort of spirals and. It, shame is one of the worst things that we can carry around for our mental health and well-being. So, so regardless of what, you know, the, the disorder might cause physically. So what's a, like what's a healthy way out of that then? Like how how should I have gone about that? I mean, I, I, I was just again, I wouldn't have categorized myself as that person. Right. I, I didn't realize that that was the issue. Even when I'm eating giant bags of baby carrots, I'm not right. thinking I'm, I'm binging. That was mm-hmm. not the, the language that I used. So how do you identify it and what's the correct steps to try mm-hmm. to undo that? Yeah. So what people often find really surprising is one of the first things that's important in starting to address binge eating is usually for most people actually involves eating more. Um, which seems counterintuitive because they feel like, you know, how how could I possibly eat any more? And they feel like it's a problem of um, control or portion. And what we find when we we do things like, um, especially if you're working with a dietitian, and you look over what these patterns of of nutritional intake are like, often people are significantly under eating for periods of time, and so in actuality they're setting themselves up for for this cycle to continue of binge eating 
restrict, binge eat, restrict, binge eat, restrict. Um, and so one of the first things that we do is talk about how do we kind of stabilize your nutrition throughout the day. One, because from a physiological standpoint, we're going to avoid, you know, big blood sugar crashes and um, which has major impacts on our mood um, when our, our when we're hungry, when we're, our blood sugar is low. Um, and so we want to give people sort of a good foundation to start to be able to look at their binge eating behaviors when it's not necessarily a function of, um, you know, literal hunger, like physiological hunger. Mm -hmm. So we talk about things like making sure you are fueling yourself with nutrition, you know, every two to three hours, um, which for a lot of people, again, feels like that's so different than the way that I eat. And I feel like I need to go these long periods of time. Um, and we do things, like I mentioned before, where we, we're also really looking uh, at what are some of the, the thoughts, feelings, beliefs around food. So as much as we can, we start to talk about that idea of neutralizing the way that we approach food. Um, because the other part, just like not eating anything, if I'm restricting myself, um, I'm eating, but I'm restricting myself only to things that I feel like are nutritious or healthy or good, yeah. then our cravings for, you know, the more palatable things that we like truly enjoy is still going to be there. And that, too, is going to kind of perpetuate that binge cycle because we're still going to have that like intense urge to have access to what we really what we feel like we really, really want. So a lot of that kind of initial work is um, is looking at how do we stabilize our nutrition through the day and how do we um, start to really neutralize food while we're then sort of secondarily starting to really get into like what's driving the binge episodes. Yeah. So but what about examples of like say you are working on your nutrition all day mm -hmm. and you're staying satisfied, but then you have something of like, oh, there's two boxes of Girl Scout cookies in front of me mm -hmm. the, and I can't stop eating them. Mm -hmm. It's not an emotional response necessarily to the food. It's like, mm -hmm. this is freaking delicious and I can't keep right. my hand out of the cookie jar. Right. So, so what's, where does that come to play? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that, um, that's such a good point. There's something that we call um, in, you know, psychology world, stimulus control, which is recognizing that we are, you know, as human beings, we have, um, you know, our brain is going to light up when we see the Girl Scout cookies. We know how good they taste. We know how wonderful they are. And they are. And so it's not so much about... Um, removing all of those things from our life. We want to be able to enjoy them. And at the very beginning of this process, it might be so emotionally and sort of physically overwhelming to like sit at your desk, let's say, with this box of cookies yeah. on your desk and to be able to um, approach that in a more, you know, effective way. Like the idea of like, I can have a couple cookies and then I can be done and I can put it away. So, I mean, I, I do talk about at the beginning um, or especially kind of at the beginning when that that signal in our brain is just so strong to, to keep eating mm -hmm. and to sort of go beyond, to ignore kind of what our body is even telling us, like, I am full, I'm like starting to feel sick, um, to do things where we are not making those things quite so accessible and we just give ourselves like enough time to be able to um, think about other ways. One, to think about whether am I really hungry? What would um, what what would really serve sort of my needs right now? Is it that I really am feeling stressed and overwhelmed about everything that's going on with my day and spending 10 minutes like talking to my friend or getting some fresh air is truly what I need? Mm -hmm. But we have to have that space to be able to do that um, if something that's so compelling is right there and accessible, you know, most of us would turn to that right away. Yeah. So we have to kind of, 
in terms of stimulus control, kind of think about like what can we do in our environment to just give ourselves sort of the space and opportunity to to let our um, sort of old brain, as we talk about it, sort of the older brain that has more control over things like appetite and impulse, let that sort of settle enough that our newer frontal part of our brain, our frontal cortex that's more about decision-making and processing has a chance to kind of catch up and maybe decide, what do I really need right now? What's a more effective decision? What coping skills can I use? Because I don't want to go there. So I would say, I think that's awesome to have like the conversation with yourself. And that's helped me a lot of trying to like tune in. Mm -hmm. But if going into like, and I'd say that they've for most of my like really intense binges that I've been on, that doesn't really happen to me much anymore, which I'm very grateful Mm -hmm. for, which is a process. I mean, this has been an almost eight year journey for me now. But in those moments where, you know, you are emotionally triggered and you go into like feeding frenzy binge of Mm -hmm. when like I have eaten stale saltines, I have eaten Mm -hmm. just whatever I can get my hands on and just keep going of like, how do you tune? Let's like that other part of your brain takes over. So, and it's like, I know what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and I can't stop myself. So is, I mean, Mm -hmm. is there any way or is it just write it out and then sit in the shame afterwards and learn a lesson from it? Because, you know, if, if I'm in that moment and even I ask, like, let's say I ask my husband if, like, you see me doing this, tell me, mm-hmm. tell me to stop or mm-hmm. bring it to my attention. I'd be like, yeah, right, get out, <laughs> You're like a lioness, this, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like it's it's for some reason it's just right. a switch in your brain, and it's like I right. I have I have to do this, and I just have to go through this storm. Like, is there any way to turn that off? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think. Um, I think a lot of people really struggle with that. Like they, they describe feeling that if I've started on this train, there's just no stopping this train. Yeah. And I think it's somewhat individualized, but I, we, you know, do talk about the idea that from the, from a stance of really empowerment to know that you can make the decision to stop at, at any time. Um, there's, and we, we talk about that as, an opportunity to kind of start to tune in and I but I agree with you it's extraordinarily difficult um, in part because of what's going on neurobiologically in our brain just everything's kind of lighting up where we've sort of started to lose access to some of that more rational decision making at that time I think the best approach is to do things prior to being in that situation that might Um, sort of hold off our urge to engage in it or to help us remind ourselves even during a binge episode that we have the power to stop. So for example, um, some people will, you know, in a spot that they might typically go to binge, um, write like messages to themselves when they're in the, you know, healthier kind of mind space. mm -hmm about, you know, you can stop this at any moment. You don't have to do this. Um, You know, what do you need in this moment? Go talk to somebody. So they can write themselves messages. Um, I, again, it it depends a lot on the person and sort of the specifics of the situation. But sometimes we might even start by um, trying to work on reducing the length of the binge episode um, at first because it might help someone, um, for some people it helps them sort of tune in again to that ability, to that idea. If, if the idea of just, oh, you're telling me I can't binge feels super overwhelming, um, saying I'm going to limit it to the sort of like this amount of time. And then at that point I have to at least try to call a friend or, to text somebody or to do something else um, that starts to build some sense of power because that's what most people describe as like, I feel totally powerless. Like this like force has just taken, taken me over. Um, And then doing those other things again, before the binge eating episode happens where I am um, maybe addressing for a lot of people, they've never shared that they engage in this behavior with anyone. Um, 
sometimes the process of just starting to talk about it with other people, especially like a partner, if you live with anyone, um, is a really is a really kind of powerful step in um, even if it doesn't lessen the intensity, there's that that awareness and knowledge that someone else is knows about this and that it's not so secretive. It starts to chip away at that shame. Yeah. Um, and maybe even in, in inviting kind of proactively someone to check in on you during those like, high binge, yeah. you know, urge times. Well, I would say that I agree with that. So for me, I mean, I've went through the worst binges of my life. It was like seven and a half years ago before I started making a health change and then realizing that's what I was doing through my own journey. Mm-hmm. And I never told anyone about it, not my husband or anybody, mm-hmm. until I started talking about it on this podcast. And wow. I've been doing this podcast for almost two years, a year and a half, mm-hmm. and how that's just made such a difference for me of mm-hmm. still holding shame on that. And I, what's weird is I talked about it on this podcast before I ever talked to my husband about it. Hmm. Like I talked about secretly hiding stuff from him, and he didn't. He still didn't know that uh-huh. until like a year ago. Of I've had a whole secret trash space that I did, and when you and it's still like this shame of like it's so awkward to talk to, and like God, it makes me yeah. feel like I want to cry right now. Yeah. Of facing that person and be like, I hid this from you. Like mm-hmm. I just hated myself so much. I didn't want I didn't want you to see it because I didn't want you to hate me too. Yeah. But talking about it for me, um, especially in this space mm-hmm. where I know that people can hear this and identify with it and maybe have some solutions to it is so freeing and helpful mm-hmm. and I really don't have as many binges anymore because I feel like I can understand it now mm-hmm. more and I understand what it is and where I come from and I will say um, it wasn't a really bad binge but um, and I can't remember if I told you this or not but it, with the tween week I did the interview mm-hmm. with the girls yeah. that um, after I recorded that episode we recorded it like on a Tuesday night or something um, the next day I just bawled my eyes out on the way to work Mm -hmm. and I'm like I went into binge mode and I was Mm -hmm. here at at work and I'm like I can't hit the vending it was just and I knew what it was I can identify it Mm -hmm. it was just like it emotionally hit me so hard and it just just hit that spot where I'm like I need to do I don't know what else to do I can't go like run a mile right now or anything Mm -hmm. I just have I have to do this. And so I, I ran to Kroger and I got a little bag of baby carrots <laughs> <laughs> and I got um, a thing of blueberries mm-hmm. because there was a lot of them mm-hmm. and some cherry tomatoes. Again, of like, that was my go-to of like, I just, I, ha- I have to work this out. Mm-hmm. And I know this isn't the solution, but like, it's just sometimes it's just like the, the emotion was so overwhelming of, I just, I just need to do this. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also, and as soon as I did that, I told people here at work that of like, I, I did this thing that it just it was so emotionally hard for me because I, I've I've lived what these girls were living through and the things they said just like just hit me so hard. I'm like, I had to go like power eat some veggies because it just, you know, and it's it's mm-hmm. saying it out loud mm-hmm. is helpful. And I haven't had a binge episode like that since. Yeah. So I, I totally agree with you just from my own yeah. uh, experience that of it's it's only it's so shameful for, for you. And but so many other people are dealing with it. But nobody knows right. if we're not talking about it. Right. Well, and I, I mean, thank you for sharing that, because I think that that really highlights to, um, you know, there's definitely that susceptibility to those patterns. And and I, I like want to normalize that too, that food is a lot of times we get into this idea that, you know, this concept of emotional eating is a this bad or negative thing when, I mean, really all humans eat out of emotion and food is actually very effective at calming and soothing and um, it doesn't mean that it's the the healthiest method for us all the time, but we have to start by acknowledging that it's really effective at what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all eat from a place of emotion at times. And I mean, I think what, one of the things that's powerful about your experience recently is that you, you know, were pretty cognizant of what was going on and it it didn't like 
throw you off then, you know, in a, like in an ongoing way, you were able to sort of recognize for what it was, not let like some shame spiral happen, talk about it, and then kind of move forward from, Mm -hmm. from there. And I think that's just like a really powerful, you know, example. Well, that leads me into, I know um, I asked people on Instagram to ask some questions uh, for this, which you can always find me on Instagram at uh, you compound this. But someone said, when you do go into a binge mm-hmm. of like, and how do you, they said, you know, how do I get back on the wagon afterwards of like, how do I yeah. recover from mm-hmm. from that? And is that the best way to just talk it out? Or I mean, what if, I mean, if you're not comfortable doing that, like what else can you do? Yeah. Well, I would say from a, I mean, we think about, it's a great question. We think about it from a, you know, a physiological standpoint, an emotional standpoint, psychological standpoint. So physically, the best thing that you can do is to get right back onto a, you know, regular um, and consistent plan of nutrition. So again, a lot of people feel like their instinct is to then restrict or limit what they eat. And they might just even physically feel like, ugh, I have no, like, I've binged, I feel, like, awful in my body. Um, or I need physically. to go hit the gym for three hours to yeah, undo this. right. And, like, one of the most powerful things you can do is avoid attempts at, like, compensating for it mm-hmm. um, because that leads you right back into that spiral again. Um, so not that all binge episodes happen at night, but it's kind of a frequent time. Um, it's, like, in the late evening, and so I often say, like, the next thing to do is to have breakfast. Um, that said, I think in in the immediate kind of period too, I think that um, like you were giving the example of talking about it, things that we can do to chip away and undermine that feeling of shame and isolation are among the most powerful things that we can do. And if you don't feel like there's someone that you um, – that knows the whole story or, you know, that you've confided in about these behaviors, then it might be writing it down. It might be if you have a a therapist that you work with, you know, telling them, um, even like sending them a note to let them know that, that this is going on. And it's not because you have to, you know, tell on yourself. Um, but it's more about just avoiding, I mean, it's that idea of secrets keep us sick, we say in AA and, and, you know, with other kinds of like compulsive behaviors. And so like shining a light on it, um, even for ourselves, is really powerful. So somebody else asks, do triggers ever go away? Yeah. So a a big thing to know about triggers is that um, when we think about it from a neurobiological standpoint, we form habits, and binge eating can certainly become a habit, among other things. Um, we form habits in our brain because these neural pathways just get um, sort of deeper and deeper in our brain the more that we engage in a behavior. So when we have a specific trigger, we engage in a behavior in response to that trigger, and we have a certain outcome, then that pathway gets reinforced over and over in our brain. So what the way that I like to describe it is that we what part of what we're doing in treatment of binge eating disorder is helping people be able to experience those triggers but not engage in the normal behavior, the binge eating behavior, and engage in a different behavior so that that trigger starts to get associated with, um, for example, I feel super overwhelmed at work. My go-to is to spend five minutes meditating Mm -hmm. um, rather than going to binge eating. And then that gets reinforced in our brain. We form a new neural pathway. So so to the answer of, like, do triggers ever go away, um, I think that ends up depending on how long somebody has, um, you know, been in a cycle of binge eating um, I think to some degree, like that, that neural pathway remains. It's always there, but it's sort of like, if I think about it like a trench, it like gets filled in yeah. over time and we deepen the more sort of healthy neural pathways where that trigger then doesn't immediately um, set off our urge to binge. It sets off a different urge or a different sort of idea of what we can do with it to deal with it. 
So someone else asked, is a cleanser fast helpful at times to try to break the habit or cravings of binging? I'm so glad someone asked this um, <laughs> because I think so many people, um, I mean, it's even a way that a lot of like cleanses and fasts are marketed as like a, a way to sort of stop that cycle. And my answer is unequivocally no. I think that it. Um, what we know, just like I was saying before, one of the biggest triggers and sort of setups for binge eating is under eating or restricting our eating. Like when, and think about when we feel really on a psychological level, really limited or restricted in like what we're allowed to do, our brain goes crazy thinking about how much more we want to do that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sets us up psychologically for just more intense urges. Um, it sets us up physically often for, you know, if we're not eating a range of not eating enough or not eating a range of foods, um, to have physical cravings that if you're struggling with binge eating disorder can be just a recipe for disaster. So I think that it's, it's actually the opposite. The, you know, the approach that I take is actually quite opposite, which is about, um, can feel scary, but it's really about kind of liberating our relationship with food is the pathway to healing rather than kind of putting in more rules because you talk to anybody who's struggled with binge eating and I mean almost everyone has been on plenty of diets and cleanses and you know all these things to sort of feel like they're reining themselves in yeah like if that all worked yeah no when I was dieting no we (laughs) we wouldn't be where we are yeah Totally. So. so is there something that like predisposes someone to having a binge eating disorder? Because it's like, well, how come I have this relationship with food and it triggers me so much yeah. and I go into these binges. But then you think of like somebody like my husband who's just like, I don't know, I just eat to live. Like, uh-huh. what? Like, huh? Like, <laughs> hate those you, people. Right. Like, how do you not have this like crazy emotional attachment to food or not you know dump your emotions into eating of like is it just a certain type of person that leads this way or is it just kind of life experience like how does that work yeah yeah there's there's a ton of um there's a ton of factors that have been studied with research and i mean a few a few kind of key things that we know tend to be associated with like later developing binge eating are things like um, a lot of things that just relate to our personality and temperament, sort of what our um, what our drive for kind of pleasure, new experiences are. Um, you know, people that are perhaps more prone to things like anxiety and depression. Um, sort of separately tend to be more prone to developing binge eating, often as a way to kind of self-medicate, if Mm -hmm. you will, those issues. um, People, there's a much higher incidence of people who've experienced like traumatic events. um, And not always like I've seen, you know, I've been in a horrible car crash or some, you know, sort of very specific um, traumatic event, but have experienced, you know, different forms of trauma, whether it's like more relational trauma or family-based trauma, um, they tend to be more at risk for developing binge eating disorder. So like adverse experiences, things that are, which makes a lot of sense because if we're thinking about one way of thinking about binge eating disorder as a way of sort of emotionally numbing and soothing that just becomes, you know, really chronic over time, you can see how that happens when someone feels you know, more powerless to deal with things that are happening to them in their life. Um, and then there's some really interesting research about just even brain differences, um, like levels of dopamine and other neurotransmitters and how, um, you know, different levels of those chemicals in our brain might predispose us to binge eating. Um, for example, if we have too much or too little of dopamine, which is like the pleasure hormone, mm-hmm. um, you know, we might we tend to be more or less inclined towards things that are going to like give us that dopamine rush, and we know that food is one of the things yeah. that does that. So there's even you know brain differences that might predispose us. So it's hard for any like particular person to know exactly you know why they've developed these behaviors, but 
through the process of, you know, therapy or working with a doctor who's really knowledgeable about this, it, it can be, I think, it can, for a lot of us, it can give us a lot of sense of more power and control when we feel like we know, here's some of the things that make me particularly vulnerable. And then what am I going to need to do to yeah. address those vulnerabilities? So speaking of that, of like if somebody's listening to this and they're identifying with all of these things and realize that they have this behavior, like is it possible to kind of untie these knots yourself and figure this out and move forward? I mean, or is it something that you need to go to therapy with? Yeah, so I, I think it's it's definitely possible Um you know, I kind of look to the the research on this, and it's definitely possible self-help has been shown to be effective for some people. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, um, reading a book um, and trying to work through some exercises and um, different approaches to food and feelings and things like that um, can be really helpful for some people. I find for a lot of people that that connection piece, though, is really powerful, whether that's in the form of a support group um, in person or online, working with a therapist that can sort of really individualize the work that that person is doing, um, working with a really skilled dietitian. I would say like one caveat is that um, there are a lot of providers out there that um, maybe, for example, dietitians who are used to working with people in a very particular way and remembering that this is a diagnosed clinical eating disorder and that you really need somebody who is knowledgeable, isn't going to put, isn't going to be recommending, you know, a restrictive eating plan to yeah. sort of cure this or think that this is, you know, sort of a phase um, or a weight loss problem because that's not at all what it is. So since I have like I've I've described to you what I have done in the past, mm -hmm. and I don't do that in those ways anymore. Would you still diagnose me as having binge eating disorder? So Di I'm asking you to do. Yeah. <laughs> so my, hypothetically, <laughs> because my license won't allow me to diagnose you, but <laughs> hypothetically, someone in your situation. I mean, it's really based on what's currently going on. Okay. So it's not um, it's not something that we consider like a chronic illness that you'll always have this diagnosis yeah. through your life. Um, it's based on do you meet criteria for that right now? Are you engaging in Got those to. behaviors, you know, at that frequency? Um, which I think is really, I mean, to me, really liberating because, you know, we I can say with complete confidence that full recovery is possible. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't something that people will, oh, well, I'll always live with it to some degree. Can I lessen the intensity? I mean, most people, when they have treatment for it, and there's lots of, you know, there's also, um, you know, pharmacological medical treatment um, in terms of a, me a medicine, one that was approved last year by the FDA, uh, for binge eating disorder. So there there are treatment options and most people will fully recover and not deal with this. That's awesome. Life, which I think is really helpful. Well, I'd say for me and to get your thoughts on this too, like I wouldn't say I have binge eating disorder in this moment because I don't binge in those ways anymore. But that also doesn't mean I don't have to have all of these discussions with food and having emotions in where like I know I tie a lot of like I've had a very long tiring day and I and food feels relaxing. Like, even though I'm not right. hungry, I right. want to numb out and I want to eat. Or it's like, well, you've done all this stuff. You deserve mm -hmm. it. And like, mm -hmm. just like those voices in your head that you have to have a conversation with of like, oh, well, you know, it only comes around once a year. You better eat some of those Reese's pumpkins because they're not going to mm -hmm. be around forever. <laughs> and and like, you can have, you went to the gym, like, and it's just, mm -hmm. you know, of, of these conversations that I feel like that is a lifetime. Like, even though yeah. I'm not eat it, you know, hitting the drive through multiple drive throughs and then eating to the point of pain and hiding the trash anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just different kinds of conversations now. And I feel like for me, it's so important to just have that self-awareness of what my relationship is with food and taking those strong emotions and how I try to make food the solution to them. And, um, and 
you know, and I, I haven't done therapy for that. I, I absolutely probably should be in therapy for many, <laughs> many reasons. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things for me in my own journey. It's like, I, I think that you can't, I think that the, the, the binge eating, like you said, can go away. But I think having these, have, I feel I'm always going to have this kind of relationship with food, I feel like the rest of my life. Like, I don't think I can say that that will ever go away. And all of a sudden I become a person that's just like, well, I, I, I eat to live and I just eat these things because it's fueling my body and I, I don't feel triggered to eat the whole thing and mm-hmm. I don't try to reward myself with food. I feel like that's as at my very best working through it. I, I feel like that's always still going to be a conversation for me. Yeah. Is yeah. that fair? <laughs> I think that's totally fair. And I think um, I, I would just say that everyone I think it's totally fair, and I think that, again, kind of just going back to, like, the way that our brains are formed and, like, what our personalities are, like, those things are generally not going to change a whole lot. And we might be, um, you know, I love, for example, how excited I get about food, you know? And it so there is a way in which it can become, like, something you love about yourself while recognizing like I'm always going to be a little bit more at risk for taking that too far or um, you know really having to practice mindfulness and pausing and thinking about like what I need because my instinct is going to be this yeah Um, totally and and again going back to just like the emotional eating piece like I I guess getting away from the idea that you know, having a, there's a difference between, okay, I really enjoy like having my bowl of ice cream each night before bed because, you know, it's pleasurable and it's this like nice capstone to the day. And, a, and I, you know, it's sort of associated with like calmness and pleasure. Um, and a difference between that and feeling like um, I'm going to spiral out of control if I yeah. can't do it, if I yeah. can't have it, or I can't stop myself um, in terms of, like, the amount and quantity. I just need more and more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, oh, I'm always just wanting to kind of make normalize the idea that, like, it's okay if food brings us comfort, and that's kind of even part of our routine sometimes. But if that's, like, the only thing that gives us comfort – or what we feel like we have to turn to and we can't sort of um, rein it in, if you will, then that's often when there's more of a a, a problem that we yeah. want to look at. Well, I had a, an interview with a, a dietitian. Her name is Eve um, for this podcast. And she brought up something to me that I was like, oh, my God, I've never thought about it this mm-hmm. way before. But this is totally me of where you get near the end of a meal and you start to grieve and you're mm. sad that it's almost over. Yeah. And then how that Great can point. can trigger you into of like, oh, but I, I love this. And mm-hmm. I even though I'm full, mm-hmm. I want to keep eating. And that's when you'll start digging for more. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's what a great way to, to post that, to verbalize that. Because yeah. that's how I, I feel of like. Oh, mm-hmm. I I love doing this. It's great. And then it's like it's like a vacation. Right. It's like, oh, it's right. almost over. Remember when it started and it was so great and I <laughs> right. thought I had the whole week and now the week's over. Like yeah. I'm like, well, what does that even mean that we that your brain goes there? Because yeah, I'd like to know the psychology behind that because <laughs> right. that's both hands raised over here. That that's how I behave. Well, that's funny too, because I was thinking when you started talking about um like, or being on vacation and, you know, there's some kind of food that you don't have at home. And so it's like, I need, you know, it's sort of that emotional response to it. Like, I, um, I'm i not going to have the chance to have this again. Mm-hmm. Or this is like, or it happens, I think, with like holidays even. Like, yeah. it's a whole year until I like have this like special thing. And we just, you know, want to have more of it because there is this kind of emotional connection to it. And yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just crazy that. And that's one of those things, again, you have to take yourself back and try to be mindful of it, of mm-hmm. um, I'm not sad because I'm still so hungry. Of right. I'm sad because I've tied emotion right. into right. this food, into whatever this is, right. and I don't have to keep scrounging around for food. And I know, and it's it's right. funny how, like, I'll I'll eat something and I'll be full, but I'll still just, 
the urge to eat more is mm-hmm. very strong sometimes. And mm-hmm. that's where I do. I have to distract myself mm-hmm. of yeah. like, go send some emails or something, go read a book, go right. walk the dog. Right. And then it's so fun. It's just like this tension almost that builds up. And then I, I'll mm-hmm. do something else and like five or 10 minutes will pass. And I'll be like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't feel crazy anymore. I right. feel like I'm glad I didn't eat more. Right. Again, it's like almost that feeding frenzy sort of feeling. It's, yeah. it's strange how that works. Yeah, I think that that's so true because and I think a lot of a lot of us here like you know if you were really paying attention to your hunger or fullness but oftentimes it's not even about that like you can even be aware like I feel full but that doesn't mean I don't want to keep eating this. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think some of that is because of like again what's going on in our brain that like everything's lighting up that it feels really good there's like positive emotional sensations and like who wants that to end you know and it does take kind of that pause and distance which is often a really good strategy to kind of recenter um because and to not not feel like something's wrong with me that I want to keep eating like that's kind of that's how we're physiologically wired yeah right (laughs) so if somebody's listening to this and they they want to reach out and they want to get some solutions they want to get some help how can they reach you yeah, they can uh, check out our website at galliacollaborative.com um, or find us on Instagram at, at Gallia Collaborative are probably the best ways. And I um, can tell I'm really, I, I love talking about this and I love supporting people through this journey. So I'm always happy to connect with folks that want to talk more. So can you do this like in person and online on the phone or is this an only in person thing? Yeah, so I I do in my um our practice does both in-person therapy and um, online therapy for people that struggle with with eating disorders, as well as other other challenges that face women in particular. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was super informative, and I really hope that this gives people some solutions, some answers, and um, it's it's been great. And I love having you in here, and you are welcome anytime. <laughs> thank you so much. It's awesome. <laughs> AmandaValentineBites.com